Welcome to the Veteran Experience with author, veteran, and judge Mark Johnson. On this show, we provide a place for veterans to heal and be heard. We share stories of heroism, of struggle, of the endless battle to preserve American liberty, and we discuss the toll this takes on some of our best and brightest. Uh, today, I'm going to be interviewing Alan Dollison. Alan is a soon-to-be-retired civil affairs full colonel. Uh, we both served in a lot of the same units, the 425th Civil Affairs Battalion, the 351st Civil Affairs Command. Uh, it's a real pleasure to have him on. He, uh, Alan has been everywhere and done a lot of different jobs, and I want to talk and get his feelings. He's also an attorney, as I was, and he's run for District Attorney of Humboldt County. So with that, let's get uh, Alan on the line. Hello. Alan, hey, it's Mark. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Mark. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing really good. I uh, uh, I was just given a little little bit of your background just to try to impress my audience. Uh, you're an attorney. You're soon to be retiring as a full colonel from the United States Army. You've served all over the world. You've run for district attorney of Humboldt County. So I'm trying to figure out what you haven't done. But... Uh, <laughs> With that, uh, so how are you? You're doing great. Uh, uh, I wanted to ask you, just first off, can you give us like a little, maybe a little two-minute background of your military career? Absolutely, Mark. So um, with the basic training in 1989 in uh, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, and then I went to military journalism school, Army journalist, uh, journalism school. Uh, that was the same MOS of Joker in um, a full <laughs> I, metal jacket. If I remember. remember that well, yes. <laughs> but then I knew immediately that I wanted to be an officer. I was in the middle part of my collegiate career at Cal State Fullerton. So I went uh, and joined the ROTC program, got commissioned um, as a reserve officer in field artillery, uh, knew I wanted to go reserves because I wanted to go to law school uh, shortly after graduating from college. Served eight years in the California National Guard. My first semester in law school was uh, the L.A. riots, uh, the 1992 Rodney King riots. That was interesting. Caused me to take makeup finals, which was always a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, and then I moved uh, uh, after about eight years in uh, the California Guard. I moved over to the Army Reserve because I uh, moved to Cyprus where I was an assistant attorney general. And that was a great experience for me because I got to serve in the 100th Battalion, 442nd Infantry, most decorated uh, unit of its size in World War II. Senator Anoye served in that unit and, of course, won the Medal of Honor uh, years later. And um, that was just a great opportunity. And I actually went to Infantry Captain's Career Course. So that was my uh, that was my my advanced course, you know, that later on they called it Captain's Career Course. And then when I came back to California, I spent a lot of time in the training world, the 91st Division. Mm -hmm. um, but I uh, met a civil affairs officer when I was in my uh, CASQ course, and he was telling me all about civil affairs. And I said, gee, this is a, this sounds really fascinating, and I really need to look into this. And I also saw a lot of people deploying, and so I said, I've got to do this. So uh, basically switched to the branch of civil affairs and immediately joined the 425, and then they immediately sent me on a deployment, albeit with another battalion. 
And uh, that was my first uh, deployment to Afghanistan, where I was okay. a Cat A team leader, leading a team of four, um, you know, trying to win the hearts and minds. Uh, yeah. There are the people in Afghanistan in volatile Helmand province. Uh, came back, uh, got a company command in the 425 when it was in Santa Barbara. And then I um, uh, deployed with the 425 in uh, into Iraq. We'll call that the second 425 deployment to Iraq because we know you went on the first one. I, um, y- yes, I, uh, yeah. I, no, I, I was stunned when I was looking over your resume at, uh, the, some of the parallels, uh, you're a there were, there, bad, there, there more badassery than on your resume than there was on mine, but <laughs> they, they were, they were absolutely, uh, that deployment. Um, you know, I, I served on a divisional staff, fourth ID and first cav. I was the chief of governance of, uh, and rule of law, um, primarily because of the legal, my civilian legal background. I always kind of got involved in rule of law reform at, at any of my deployments, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, and then, um, did some training, uh, uh, both operate, uh, G3 of a brigade. And then, uh, and then I had a battalion command, um, fell under the same brigade that you had your battalion command. Uh, although I think yours was up in uh, French camp. Uh, I had the Riverside battalion, second battalion, 413th regiment of drill sergeants. I was and actually I, in Pasadena. Uh, oh, you were in Pasadena? yeah, I was at that pass under suicide bridge that, well, that, You'd have to be a oh. local. There's an old bridge there that people tend to jump off of, and I, I, and that's I, what they I know call. it well. <laughs> hey, that, I that know it well. you know, it's funny. I look at your resume here. You were the commander of Charlie Company of the 425th, as was I. Believe it um, or not, I, I now granted, I was a lieutenant colonel, a new lieutenant colonel, and I think wow. Colonel Sean Kelly uh, yeah. needed. Somebody to cover it, and he threw me in there, and I had a steep learning curve. But yeah, that was a great. Is, they're all great jobs. That 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 was. I pretty much the same way. I came back from I came back from my, my Afghanistan deployment, and they threw me into Charlie Company, absolutely <laughs> rebuilding. I think we had four people in the company when I took it over, and we grew it to we grew it to uh, above twenty people, and and just I, I had a great time with that, yeah. and then uh, transitioned to a new job when we, when I went on the deployment. And Tron Kelly actually signed my 4651-R to transfer me into the 425. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, we've been uh, walked a lot of the same ground. So you, uh, okay, so you went to Iraq. You're up at, uh, you said, like, division level, and you're working on Division governance. level, yeah. I worked for, M- I worked for back then they called it MNDB, uh, Multinational Division, uh, Baghdad. Yeah. So I, was, I was in Baghdad, yeah. Okay, and then... Did you have another deployment to one of these two, those two countries, Iraq or Afghanistan, yeah, after that? I went back to Afghanistan 16, 17, right after I finished my that. battalion command. And I started out, it was a fascinating job. They had um, created a deputy commanding general for civil outreach, and they gave that position to a three-star from Italy. Uh, truth be told, it was uh, it was somewhat of a bribe to Italy, who was thinking of pulling their troops out at that time, and they wanted to give him another general officer position. But he was a general, okay. a, you know, deputy commanding general of the entire mission. Although there was a British one who also held that title, but this was the office of civil outreach, 
and hence it had that word civil. They saw my name coming into Afghanistan, uh, going to a different assignment, and they said, no, we need a civil affairs officer, and we need a native English speaker, because there's all these Italians that were in that office. Yeah. Um, and it was a great assignment because it literally, you know, put me there, uh, at, you know, in Kabul. They, back then they called it Camp Resolute Support. Uh, Camp RS, they named it after the mission. It was very near Phoenix, but Phoenix had closed. Um, and I got to work with uh, General Nicholson, uh, developed a friendship with him, and worked on a couple classic civil affairs missions to protect uh, to protect ancient um, uh, protected sites in Afghanistan, as well as, of course, supporting a hospital where a tremendous amount of babies were being born. And we got equipment and resources to that hospital. And not only did I work with General Nicholson, I got to work with General Nicholson's wife who uh, he had met in Afghanistan on a previous deployment and she worked for an NGO and she was, she was a, a wonderful woman to work with. Her name was Noreen McDonald. Um, and so that was just a great assignment, did that for about six months. And then they decided they only needed one of two uh, deputy commanding generals. And so they, they, uh, they kind of transitioned out of that office. And then I got sent to Gardez where I worked as the deputy commander of a police advisory team. And again, they saw my legal, background as being particularly valuable. And so I got to work uh, there. And it was interesting because that was at a base that had been closed and then they had to reopen it when things started to hey. uh, to, to to turn south after they had uh, shut it down. I was very very much near Pakistan and Ghazni province and the uh, and that volatile border in that area. Now I, I was gonna get to Saudi Arabia, then go back. But I think this is a, a really good time. Uh, so you you were in Afghanistan 2005, 2006 time frame. Is that right? That's correct. And and then you, you come back 2016 to 2017. Yes. And I, did, I listened to an interview that you gave to K, Doc from K-Rock, and I love K-Rock. And yep. In fact, I was doing my best to try to listen and learn as well from some of his interview skills. But uh, I thought it was a great interview, and it was during your first tour over there. And yep. I'm just wondering if you would have the same level of enthusiasm if we had conducted that interview 10 years later, 10, 11 years later during the uh, very, your second deployment. Very, tr very truthfully, I would not. Um, and that's a great question, and it's one I always commented on. One of the things that was interesting was my first deployment as a CAD-A team leader, and that's obviously that's a you know a tactical level type position, whereas the second one was more uh, the operational and almost the strategic level. Yes. But what I but when I had that tactical job, I did 160 missions outside the wire. We did a mission where we went to the top of Helmand Province. It was a 12-hour you know GAC, you call a ground assault convoy. 12 hours. We left at two in the morning to get there about three o'clock in the afternoon. And we were, we were spending a bunch of money on projects, but I went on 160 of these missions. I went to very dangerous areas. We were attacked by RPGs and uh, Dishka fire. And that's where I weren't, that's where I earned my combat action badge. And, um, you know, and it was very, very interesting. And so when I went back the second time, what I noticed was there was no risk taking. 
Um, the command had decided, hey, we've got to keep these fatalities low because if they have higher fatalities, we will have a situation where public support of the war will, of course, again, turn south. You can almost really call that but, the Vietnam syndrome. But how are you going to win a war with that, that mentality? But I don't Correct. know if anybody was trying to win the war around no. that point. They weren't. If you've ever watched a um, great, great movie, it's on Netflix, War Machine with Brad Pitt. And it's kind of it, it, it. Part of it is based on reality. It was basically Brad Pitt playing kind of the Stanley McChrystal character, although they gave him a different name, you know, but there's a scene in that film with um, Alan uh, Ruck, who uh, played Cameron in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> and and yeah. they talk about you know, uh, you're not going to win this war. You just, uh, you know, you just, you get your PowerPoint presentations ready. You, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, you're probably going through PowerPoint uh, withdrawal, even just hearing that after years, yeah, after yeah. years in the I, army. And he said, get your charts looking, pointing good. And that's how it's going to end with you. Uh, you know, having, having, um, uh, better graphs or just a better set of graphs. Oh. And it was clearly kind of in that context of of what we were doing, because one of the things when I talk about I mentioned I did we did 160 missions outside the wire. And as I always say, this was not the first 20 minutes of saving Private Ryan. But was it dangerous? Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, did they shoot at us? Yes. Um, uh, that sort of thing. And then I came back. Well, let me let me stop you right there. You did yes. that, but you believed in this. I did. And uh, that's uh, I mean. I guess uh, sometimes it's always disappointing to me because we've got people like you on the ground, soldiers like you on the ground. I'm not sure if everybody understands just how good you are. I mean, good in term, in every way, professional, uh, decent people. Out trying. I mean, you were really trying to help these people. I think that's Absolutely. what I'm hearing. Yeah. Absolutely. Develop long-term friendships with our interpreters. Um, we literally did everything possible and successfully got out one of our interpreters um, uh, who we couldn't get him qualified uh, here for the um, uh, the U.S. Uh, special immigrant visa program. But because he'd worked for the British after we left, we were able I had connections within the British government um, because they had taken over our base when we had left. And we were able to get him uh, to Pakistan. And then eventually Great Britain took him and now he's in Great Britain and he's doing better. So well, absolutely a, believe in these people. And yeah, I just I did, too. And I was in Iraq. Same yes. field. I just absolutely believed that I was almost doing the work of Thomas Jefferson or something like that. I know it sounds a little dumb to say, but, no. uh, but uh, well, plus I, I don't know if a lot of people I've here in America realize that when you're when you're on the ground, you're making personal relationships. You're seeing a different side of these people than are often viewed by Americans here at home. I. I remember in Iraq, I actually had the job. I, I don't know how I got. I suggested it, and I got the job. But I suggested we need more social events with our brigade commanders and the sheikhs on the ground. So they brilliant. said, you know, that's brilliant, Colonel Johnson. I was a lieutenant colonel <laughs> then. That's brilliant. You've got the job. And but I remember I I got to know the the hotel manager of the Al Rashid Hotel. Well. 
And I've when been I in told Al Rashid Hotel, yeah. I did a, I did a, I did a, a refugee conference inside the Al Rashid yeah. Hotel. It's, and I remember the guy. I said I was going home, and he, he I liked this man, and he said, uh, "Take me with you." He goes, "I just, I just want out of here. I'm tired of bombs, and I just want to raise my family, and I want a safe place for my kids." And sometimes I think a lot of Americans don't realize that th- that's what most of the world wants. They just that, that, so true. Yeah, they're so not true. terrorists or combatants all the time. They just want to live their lives and see their kids grow up well. I I analogize it to Vietnam. You know, we 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 fought this long destructive war in Vietnam, and many people died, and many more Vietnamese people died, and of course, most people don't even know <laughs> Chinese people died, Chinese soldiers died yeah. in Vietnam, and and then of course we all know that Vietnam just collapsed very very quickly once we pulled out but it took years but vietnam is basically a normal country now it is not a perfect country but they 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 have industries they build televisions they they sell clothing um and what i what i notice and what i would always say is a perpetual state of war in these locations is not a normal human experience right. and no human would ever want that and and the wars only truly um uh solve the problem when the wars end and you turn back to a state of normalcy and that is exactly what happened in vietnam and you, you know vietnam certainly was a military failure but it took the rare the regular human existence and what we know is is a normal human existence to turn vietnam back into a normal society and a normal country now okay now what do you have to say about afghanistan with that i mean is is that possible even now i mean i'm i'm skeptical i is that possible with am, the taliban very, back very in skeptical. charge i have been I've been reading the articles. I'm in communication with people that 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 know. Um, uh, quite frankly, I've I've developed a little bit of a of a social media presence and friendship with General Petraeus. Oh, I connected with him. That's cool. Uh, yeah. On LinkedIn, and I've talked to him quite a bit about Afghanistan, and um, he's very he's very 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 pessimistic. Um, it, it is. Um, what happened there was just an absolute tragedy. Uh-huh. Um, you know, uh-huh. certainly the loss of life, you know, towards the end, you know, and, and, and the, and the Southern California area and the Inland Empire gave, uh, uh-huh. gave lives, you know, at that tragic, um, attack at the airport, uh, was, was, was just, just absolutely horrendous. Um, we, we had a positive presence and our presence did, you know, kind of, uh, you know, prevent the the uh, the reoccurrence of the Taliban. Um, there's a meme, and I've shared it with a lot of people, and it showed up certainly last year after it happened. Is that says the next time you feel worthless, just remember that we just spent 20 years, four trillion dollars, three thousand American lives to replace the Taliban with the Taliban. God, is that? I mean. Uh, I chuckled a little, but it is so, you know, I know a lot of vets because I work with veterans in Veterans Court, and yeah. that w- they saw their buddies die over there. They did. And then, then they see this thing 
handed back, and not only that, not only handed back, but we handed a ton of weapons to the Taliban too, and that military, our, you know, our the military we trained it was fairly large, as I recall. It just it was just it deserted was. at the first sign of any danger. Wow. Yeah. So my my theory, and I I, I when I, and that all happened when I was in Af- when I was in Saudi Arabia, and so I talked to uh, he was the the senior defense official, defense attaché there in the Saudi Arabian embassy, and he had spent some time in Afghanistan as well. And the theory that the, the theory that I had is you know is after the agreement, you know, to to end the war that was signed by the Trump administration. And let's be perfectly honest, both Trump and Biden wanted to end uh, the war in Afghanistan. And, you know, and Trump signed that agreement. Um, it was there 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 were faults that, you know, you could find with that agreement. But the biggest problem with it was that it gave the Taliban a one year um, Warno, we'll call it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that the war was ending, that we were pulling out. And of course, I think Biden extended it by a few months and, and, and didn't pull out in May and pulled out in August of, of 21. But that, what happened is not only we we had pulled out of, from all the, the small little bases, you know, that base Fob Lightning, which was in Gardez, which was I, which I was at, which we weren't doing a whole lot of interaction with the locals, but we were doing some. Um, that we would we would fly in helicopters over to their base, but we lost our on the ground intelligence gathering. And so what I think happened is the Taliban went around all these communities and said, "Hey, this is going to happen. We're going to take over, and if you fight with us, um, we're going to kill you." And and then it was pretty much a bloodless coup. You know, they rolled yeah. in, they took over. Um, you know, you know uh, the uh, you, you know pres- president. Uh, you know, you know President Afghan. Um, he remembered what happened to the person that uh, had worked with the Russians um, uh, in, and when the Taliban took over and they hung him in the town square and, and then he got out. And, and, and so that's that, but we lost that ability. They, the, the, the Taliban clearly set that up uh, and they knew exactly what they were doing. And, uh, and, 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 and they had that advance warning and they, they used it rather effectively. They really ran, uh, you know, a flawless operation where, where, where our operation was flawed. What it, now, I, this is not the kind of opinion I want to, uh, commit to because, uh, I'm just curious your opinion. What about keeping 10,000 troops there? We seem to be keeping the lid on the place with a minimal uh minimal outlay. Yeah, two things, two things to that point. And 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 I, I mean, should, I, you, I, let I, me I, ask, I, do you think we should have pulled out? What was your feeling about that? A man so, who served there twice. Um it was it was effective. Part of that was the agreement did say you can't attack. You can't attack Americans. And to their credit, they didn't during that period of time. In that that mm-hmm. final remaining year, we lost no American lives. Um, it was somewhat. Um, there was never going to be a way that once we pulled out, that it was going to hold. And, and so we were going to continue, and we were passing the buck. And quite frankly, 
each president passed it on to each other president because the military would probably go into them in a room and go, look, sir, this is going to be a collapse and you will be blamed for this. And, um, you know, to to President Biden's credit, he drew the line and said, nope, this is this is going to yeah. happen. We're going to we're going to end this war. Well, I have a buddy um, of mine who he's worked at a bunch of these think tanks and he spent years in Afghanistan. And, uh, yep. His name's Paul Koba. And in fact, he was at the 425th for a while. But then after he, we served in Iraq together. Then after uh, Paul then went on active duty and he was, then he ended up at these think tanks. And, but yep. uh, I mean, Paul's comment to me was there was no good answer to that. So my thing about keeping 10,000 troops there, I don't, I don't know. Like I said, it just, the, the, it was a dead issue. We, I guess we had to leave. There were there were many, many, many um, uh, senior leaders and many people, um, many people from the think tanks that did believe that it would have worked and that it was having that impact, whether or not it was the agreement, you know, don't attack America. And they wanted to follow on with the agreement and whether or not if they would have seen, OK, you're now violating the agreement because you said you would leave. And so now we're going to start attacking you um is 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 one thing but i can tell you that um general petraeus has both said publicly and he said privately you know to me in conversations you know through linkedin um that he did think that that the force was working and that he and and that if he would have been advising the president you know either in a military or in a governmental role obviously which he served in he would have said uh that we needed to stay yeah i mean i lean towards that way but uh now what how does that how does that leave you feeling? I mean, was that a, that day, especially when we were pulling out and another, I think, 12 or 13 Americans were killed? Uh, and, and you've seen the faces of these people. You've worked with them. Yep. Uh, they, you, probably they were friends. And how, yep. do you, how does that make you feel? Oh, it was, it, it was, it was enormously distressing. And I was going through, I was going through some stressful, uh, you know, unrelated incidents, uh, with my command in Saudi Arabia. And then to have that, and it was, it was just very, 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 uh, bad. In fact, I will tell you a story and it, it still haunts me to this day. So the, when I was working at the second assignment with General Nicholson, you know, we would get, uh, we would get NGOs that would come to us and there was an NGO from Pasadena and they were trying to teach the Afghans to grow soy and to use soy as a source of wheat for their bread. In effect, instead of wheat, they wanted to use soy and, and not- soy non had a lot of nutritional uh, effects. And they came and we had a meeting and I got them, I got them some follow on meetings and we tried to get them some support, uh, you, you know, to, uh, you know, to follow on them on this program. And it was, it was, it was a good program and it was a, it was a good thing. It was a great thing for civil affairs to be involved in, to help NGOs, to help them grow a better crop so they can feed their people. So in the immediate, um, uh, follow on, follow up to the withdrawal, um, they had my email, so they reached out to me and they said, "Hey, we really want to get um, uh, a, a couple more of our people that are that have worked with us that have helped run this program. They were Afghans, obviously, and uh, you know, do you have any connections? And and you know, and obviously, I was just getting bombarded, you know, by, by all these different folks. Uh, we all were. There was a secret network. There's a lot of articles, New Yorker article on 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 this issue, and so I responded and I said, uh, "Yeah, I can try, you know, but but." this is what we're running up against. It's really, really difficult. And then 
about uh, a few weeks later, I was watching uh, a, a press conference with General McKenzie, who was then the CENTCOM commander, and he was talking about that 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 attack that America pulled out, where it pulled off, where they thought they were going after the folks that were responsible for the attack on the airport, and it, it turned oh, out it was wrong. Yes, and, that that was. Oh yeah, don't even get me going yeah. on that. That that was and, humiliating and, to me. Exactly, and then he said the name of uh, the people that, that that perished in this and the NGO that was connected to it, and sure enough, it was this Pasadena NGO. Oh, and I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry, people. Wow. Yeah, and I and I I I, I was still in Saudi Arabia. And I called them. Uh, I called the gentlemen. They were Korean, wonderful people, and uh, I just sorry, I just started to cry. Yeah, when I was talking. To them. Because yeah. it was just so tough. And it was just like they had reached out. You know, I was a senior American, you know, you know, military officer. They knew I was a colonel, um, thinking that somehow I'd be able to click my fingers and, 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 and their people would be out. Um, yeah. And just so many folks. And, and, and there were people that I worked on. And, and one I found out just recently have made it out. And I'm really happy. Now he's in L.A. Um, but I reached out to General Nicholson on him because we had met the, you know, through the projects that I'd worked with with General Nicholson. And then, um, you know, and I'd also met um, uh, General Eikenberry. He ironically was a contractor in Saudi Arabia. He was a three-star commanded Afghanistan and then was the ambassador in Afghanistan. And, um, uh, you know, it just I reached out to all these people and and to Ambassador Newman, who I did. We did a project with him when when I was there. Uh, The the only son, he was a a son of a father who was an ambassador to Afghanistan, father, son. They both uh, were uh, ambassadors to Afghanistan, and and Ron Newman was a graduate of UC Riverside, where my daughter just graduated from. But I reached out to all these people to help any of these people, uh-huh. and you know, and these are very very high level people, and we were all powerless. No, nobody, nobody could, nobody could do anything just because of the absolute, complete, total chaos of that withdrawal. Well, you know, I know. I, I like this. So we're going to do some retaliation strike, and we hit some Korean guy from Pasadena. Wow. Right. Well, an Afghan. It was right. an Afghan that was working for the Korean. Oh, okay. Hey, yep. t- t- now talk to me. I'm. This is just, and then one last thing about uh, Afghanistan. I know the you probably dealt with the opium trade over there, and I'm just. What was your experience <laughs> with, with that? And, uh, I mean, it would seem to me to be a little. Perhaps I'm wrong, but a, the Taliban claimed that they're quite religious and following yep. rules but they're supporting probably a a an industry that was destroying i think destroying a lot of the morality of the people but tell me what was your experience with that uh, it had a lot of experience so i was in helmand and helmand grew more mm-hmm. more poppies than, than than any other province and and so we it was a big issue it was it was it was definitely something that they were pushing and the and the uh, the embassy had hired a contractor uh, you know, with ex-American special forces officers, you know, to, to try to work the issue. A couple things. One, the last year of the Taliban being in power, they said, you know what? Opium and heroin is anti-Islamic. Uh, this is against our teachings. Yeah. And uh, we're no longer going to grow any, any, any opium. And it actually worked. 
um, and there was a dramatic reduction of opiate production in, in 2000 to 2001. Then when they saw, wait a minute, this can destabilize this new nascent, you know, Western aligned government, they, they started uh, breaking down and encouraging the farmers to, to grow more opium and to, uh, and to grow it uh, such a way that um, they would use it to fund their operation. And they basically, they basically ran like a mafia type operation saying, we're either going to, we're going to destroy your crops or you're going to give us some of your money. And so then opium became a major financing source for the Taliban. Um, we uh, worked with the Lieutenant governor. We worked with the governor there in Helmand and both were a questionable um, you know, a commitment to truly getting rid of, 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 of the opium trade. And what bothered me was we, we one time were visited by three members of Congress and I got to brief them. And so did these, these, uh, these, um, uh, you know, poppy eradication teams, uh, were, were briefing them and they tried to give them the most positive and the most up, up, uh, you know, upbringing uh, talk about why uh, they were being successful. And then uh, I sat in on the briefings after the congressman left, and then they told us the truth. And and I'm not going to say they lied, but basically what was going on was the lieutenant governor was protecting certain poppy fields that were controlled probably by him and was 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 basically ridding uh, ridding him of his competition and having uh, certain poppy fields uh, destroyed by these poppy eradication teams so <laughs> Sorry. It was i don't mean to laugh successful. i dealt with issues like that in iraq same yep. thing and i don't let, let me, okay here's a do we have any business being in these places i mean i'm sitting there i hate to say it i'm about ready to say we should just lob some <laughs> cruise missiles after 9-11 but i mean what what do we expect you know the american let me tell you one of my complaints about a lot of americans is and it was something that evan wright mentioned in that in the book generation kill and then afterwards that yep. uh he mentioned that the the real shame in these wars is coming it should be parceled out to the American people who, his words, I can almost re remember them exactly, who rush off to war in a surge of patriotism, then quickly uh, lose the will to continue the fight. And, you know, I mean, I'm just curious if most people, what they would have said if they'd known that a 20 years, 20 year commitment to Afghanistan, I don't even know what you could have done in Afghanistan other than send over about a million troops and stay 50 years, maybe you could have done something. I don't know. It's just, you know, it's so very depressing to me. And, and how so few serve, yet so few, yep. yet, yet these are mouthy people. You know, wow. Yep. I think, you know, obviously uh, we, we invaded Afghanistan after, after the 9-11 attacks. And I lost a uh, ROTC platoon mate. Uh, we were in a, we were in our advance camp together. I lost uh, his name was Major Ron Milam, um, and he was killed at the at the Pentagon along with Lieutenant General Maud, uh, who yeah. was briefing. Um, and and so the, the the moral basis we'll call for the invasion was absolutely completely appropriate. Correct. Um, yeah, I agree. There was mission creep, um, and it was not just. Uh, eliminate, you know, you know, eliminate uh, Al Qaeda, which largely was was done probably by December of 01. Explain um, mission creep for someone who doesn't know that term. 
Yeah, so mission creep is basically you start with one purpose, we start with one mission, you know, one commander's intent, and then slowly it evolves into something else. And it's a new mission, and it's absurd, and it's almost always an expanded mission that becomes much more difficult. And so the significance of that is the initial mission is going to have, you know, a, a time frame of how long it's going to take in order to uh, properly execute it. But now with the new mission and mission creep, you end up staying there much, much, much longer. We were there twice as long as the Russians were. <laughs> and it God. was similar. Yeah, oh, God, Lord. Believe it or not, the Russians did development in Afghanistan. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah. They built schools. They built roads. Um, I don't know if there's civil affairs in Russia, uh, um, but uh, but there there was similar uh, things there. And so the mission creep definitely played a role because we wanted to turn Afghanistan into a stable functioning. I actually saw this on a briefing. Well, I don't think it was classified. A stable functioning democracy that will be a vital ally of the United States in the global war on terror. And I said, are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah you'd be Do lucky. you realize how long that's going to take? Do you realize that this country is really, you, you know, it is so far backwards from what it was you know, when, uh, w- you know, when Alexander the Great and, <laughs> well, and Genghis Khan were there and I've they heard, both were there and they both lost. I've heard, you know, it's, <laughs> I know it's the size of Texas and very mountainous. Do yep. you think there's actually some, some villages down in some of the real remote areas <laughs> that don't even know we were there for 20 years? Probably not. Uh, Probably not. I will tell you, I visited some, you know, I remember I told you 160 missions in, in one year. Most were by, by, uh, you know, uh, you know, by Humvees. Some we flew to. Um, I'll never forget one time we flew on a mission to a location I've been to multiple times on a helicopter. It always took an hour and the helicopter landed in 20 minutes and everybody got off the helicopter. And I'm like, this isn't right. We can't possibly be in the right place. We only got here in 20 minutes. And sure enough, they were off by one map sheet. And I said, call those birds back. We're stuck here in the middle of nowhere and we don't even have vehicles <laughs> now. Um, you know, so, uh, hey, there was that guy in the. It, there was that guy in Guam that fought World War II until the early 1970s. Oh yeah, they, um, they actually had to. What I my understanding is they had to bring some old Japanese officer over to uh, relieve him of duties. 30, 25, yes. 30 years in the jungle. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes. Now that is commitment. That is commitment. But you know, getting to your, your larger question, it was. Um, the mistake we make is we think that we can make these places like America. And I think you know that because you've been there. Yeah. yeah um, that is, and, I agree a thousand percent. Yeah. And, and, and that we, we've got to, we've got to disassociate ourselves from that as ever being one of our goals. You know, I'll um, tell you, it's not achievable. In 2004, I remember in Iraq, they, uh, it was the transitional administrative they it yes. was the towel and I can't remember, but it was going to be a government, a governing document that we yep. would pass over to, uh, uh, we would transition the government over to the new duly or well, at that point it wasn't duly elected, but the right. uh, Iraqi government. And 
you read that thing. It sounded like United States in 2005. I mean, somebody even wrote Roe versus, like, Roe versus Wade privacy interests in there. And I'm not trying to bring up those, uh, those take one point or another on that. I'm just saying it's ridiculous to sit there and, and come into a country that's been operating some way for a thousand years, and then we think we're going to wow them. And they're going to love us because we're bringing democracy. I mean, you know, America, we're like the only country that goes and invades people and then expects the locals to like them. I heard from that period of time, you know, I got there in four years after you did. But I heard during that period of time, you know, contract, they sent over contractors that helped rewrite the traffic code. And somebody thought in 04, what we really need is, is, is American, a California style vehicle code Uh, most lawyers don't know how to read the vehicle code here in california (laughs) well i can tell you Um, sure as hell nobody was ever well i'm sorry go ahead i interrupted you no absolutely it's like it it, and and like somebody thought that that was what was necessary at that time and and that's uh, i can't think of a better example of of trying to americanize a country um, by saying we're going to rewrite their codes. Look, I, I don't want to, and I don't want you to say, don't say anything, because I don't, but it, I, I, that had to be somebody with the State Department. <laughs> they, Probably. Yeah. They, uh, I, that was a challenge. It just, I swear to God, I think we we could. I remember I used to see our, our civil affairs teams, that's what the CAT stands for, and the yep. civil affairs teams. And I'd see just the average soldier, some officer at some of these uh, field artillery units, they'd be working with the local people. I swear to God, if I could come up with an army of those guys and then Correct. have like one general on top, I think you might have a chance to do uh, accomplish something. My biggest frustration was... There seemed to be a, so many people with so much say on what was going on in the ground on the ground, but they never left the wire, and they That's just true. we don't want to. And I mean, what are we doing? I mean, yeah, that yeah, that was that was. A, you know, it's funny in this interview. I wasn't even planning on saying something like that, but I just the old frustration came out, and it, it was these the coalition provisional authority, and then I remember the right. State Department and. I don't know. I just didn't see a lot getting done, and there were just too many people causing the it's problem. It's the relationships. It's things like knowing the knowing who runs the Al Rashid Hotel. It's putting together a yeah. a conference on refugees. It's you know delivering you you know soccer balls and school bags you know to schools so little kids will see the American soldier and will know that's the person that gave me a school bag. I um, there there are. There are definitely positive, definitely positive uh, aspects of 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 that civil affairs winning the hearts and minds. Um, but if you don't interact, if you just stay on your base and study your PowerPoint slide, you're not winning the yeah. war because you don't know. You don't know. I'll never forget one time. You, you I, you remember Route Tampa, right? That 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 in in Iraq. Yes. Uh, um, and I remember one time. And it was it was late in oh it was probably summer of oh nine late spring of oh nine and Tampa we, we we couldn't drive on it something had happened like a an attack or something and so then we had to take side streets to get back to you know Camp Liberty which is where I was based 
And and we were we were we were in an MRAP, which was just a great vehicle and helped yeah. save a lot of American lives. And God bless Bob Gates for pushing and getting those <laughs> to the field. Um, but we took these side streets and 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 I and I saw these people and it was in a period of low violence in Iraq. It was one of the better periods in Iraq, certainly a lot, a lot less dangerous than, than when you were there. And I saw these people sitting at these little outdoor cafes and I saw a store that there was a that was selling wedding dresses and then there were stores selling electronics and people were just living a normal life. And here I was in my wearing all my battle rattle and my helmet and looking at this scene and I'm thinking, you know, that's the real life and what I'm in is is not. I'm in a bubble and and this is not normal. And it's getting back to my earlier comment. You know, if you can if you can eliminate war from a society, um, <clears throat> a society will become normal again. Now what do you how would you say uh do you think Iraq was a success? Or a stalemate? You know, or a, I, I don't know how, I, I'm not sure how I would answer that question. It, it, I, I think if the basic mission was to remove Saddam Hussein. And that so, so certainly, was. certainly that was the first mission. And that was, a, that was a huge success. And of course it was an early success. Um, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and, and so uh, again, somewhat of mission creep, we of course wanted to have, you know, the, you know, uh, uh, elections, um, we did, there were many of us that said, it looks like we're, we're replacing, um, the government that was there with a government that is certainly going to be more friendly to Iran, which is not our friends in the region at I all. No, that, yeah. And, yeah. and so there is that. Um, but, um, you, you know, we I, I think the best answer to that is, of course, President Obama pulled us out of uh, out of Iraq. He, he he followed along with an agreement that President Bush signed uh, happened. He actually signed it when I was there. Um, uh, the famous shoe throwing incident, uh, you know, the you know, right at, at the oh, tail end of his that, administration. That good duck he made too, right? A good yeah. duck, yeah, good duck, absolutely. But um, and then he pulled out, and I actually had a bet with a civil affairs buddy. Uh, we bet twenty dollars that we were going to pull out, and uh, we did. And uh, true to his honor, he 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 mailed me my twenty dollars. He lived in Florida, um, and then of course a few years later uh, they went back. And in fact, my brother-in-law, who I enlisted in the army, my wife's my wife's brother, um, ended up serving again in in Iraq. So if we pulled out, and then we had to go back again, and they're they're still there. Um, uh, by definition, that cannot be a, that cannot be a success. Yeah, I, I know. It's just, uh, yeah. So, well, tell you what, then, first off, let me say this. If if I were in charge of the Army, I would have promoted you to Brigadier General. You, you have an impressive resume. I mean, Thank you, and you've got a lot of command time. You've got three deployments. you got a brigade command. I think yep. company, battalion, and brigade? Yep, uh, twice for all three what of them. What the heck? Well, sorry. I, I suppose I I shouldn't criticize the army that much, but you know, I remember with me, I was the the G three, the operations guy for the three fifty first Civil Affairs Command, and uh, I I was putting in going to put in applications for a brigade command, but you know, I put, I never got one, and. I was not willing to fly all over the world on my own dime either. That was yep. <laughs> I was told that 
Oh, wait a second. Problem. You're you're shooting yourself in the foot if, if you don't say you're yep. willing to travel anywhere in the U.S. And I'm going, you know, I actually like to at least break even on these weekends. I don't want to be paying because right. I, I don't know if a lot of people understand this. When somebody like Alan say he's, just say he's serving, he lives one place and he's flying a thousand miles to go to a battle assembly weekend, he pays for that travel uh, for a regular weekend. And I don't, a lot of people were like scratching their heads. I was telling them that and they were, you always got this feeling. They were thinking, this has got to be the most patriotic SOB who's ever lived on the planet. But no, I wanted to get promoted. Yeah, Yeah, no, it was a, it was definitely a challenge. And and my, my, my point was, uh, especially when I got my brigade command was, um, my head had to be on a pillow on a Sunday night. Um, <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. I knew a guy um, who lived in Hawaii was flying to Maryland once a month on his own dime. Yeah. Unbelievable. He got, yeah, yeah I don't know. The, 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 that's something that needs to change. So, okay. So like I said, I think they're fools. The army's fools not to have promoted you, but, uh, well, thank you. <laughs> I, okay. Now, how did you end up? in Saudi Arabia on a, a civil right. affairs mission and on the ground, let me just state this. You, you spent, I think two years over there. Almost two years. Yeah. About a year and a half. Yeah. What was the, it was this a job through the military or through the, it was, uh, it was a job through the military, but it was a very interesting, it was somewhat of a hybrid job that we talked about the state department. So it was a job that I was running basically a foreign military sales program. Now, most people, when they hear foreign military sales, they think of us selling, you know, helicopters, planes and missiles and rockets and things like that. Um, but, of, but foreign military sales is also we sell training. Um, as, you, as you know, the U.S. military is, is the, the preeminently trained uh, institution in the world, and we're pretty good at training others. So this was a program that had actually been started up, and it's part of the way that I kind of developed my friendship with uh, General Petraeus, because um, he was, uh, when he was commander of CENTCOM, he helped uh, create this program. And uh, there were there were already active duty military, active duty army programs helping the Saudi Arabian National Guard and helping the the Saudi army, the Ministry of Defense. But of course, as you know, in these countries, uh, the Ministry of Interior is a big deal. In Iraq, obviously, Ministry of Interior was a big yeah. deal. And so in 2008, the Saudis approached uh, the U.S. government and they said, hey, we would like help uh, with our Ministry of Interior because the Ministry of Interior needs to protect our critical infrastructure sites. And Saudi oil facilities back then and even to this day are still constantly coming under attack. And so they um, they decided that this mission would go with the Army Reserve and that they would have an Army Reserve commander um, uh, come in and run it. And I was the sixth, uh, the sixth officer to, uh, to command this program. It was actually, uh, by billet on the, uh, on the UMR uh, unit manning roster. Uh, it was a brigadier general position. And I, when I applied for brigadier general, I pointed that out to the board. Not sure it obviously mattered, but um, it was um, it was very, very critical. Um, And so I went over there in 2020. It it basically found out about it and seemed seemed interesting. And it was a very, very volatile time. 
um, because one, uh, definitely Iran was, was ratcheting yeah. things up and Iran was, was launching rockets over into Saudi Arabia on somewhat of, I think about 10 times it happened mm-hmm. when I was there. And, uh, I know they're, unfortunately, uh, well, some of the oil, one of the refineries was hit as I recall. Absolutely. Put, yeah. It was down and that's, yeah, there was no. a, there was a picture there was a picture. Yeah. Uh, I I took a picture in front of the gate of that facility. It's called Upcake, um, and it was about about a year after that attack that happened. Um, and so the the key thing is these these program these foreign military sales agreements need to be renewed about every year or two. And during the during the year and a half that I was there, we had to renew it, and um, and and that became somewhat of a struggle due to some language that was in there. Um, they'd never, they'd never had a lawyer. Who are you, uh, negoti- who are you negotiating with? Are you these high level Saudi officials? High level Saudi officials, uh, the ministry of interior, um, yeah, okay. the, the actual minister, uh, who was a lawyer himself. And then, uh, Saudi generals within the ministry of interior, um, most of these people, you know, the, 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 the educated elite of Saudi Arabia are all educated right here in the United States of America. Okay. And they, they always love to tell you that. And, and, and many of them went to, you know, oh, I went to USC. I went to university, university of Southern California. And, you know, and I'm a, I told them, well, I'm a Cal State Fullerton, uh, public, public university <laughs> guy. So well, God bless yeah. you. I am too. Yeah. That's uh, I would. It, it, exactly. I like state schools. I don't, you know, I now what was, I always think of, and I'd like to. I would like to go there. And actually, when you tell me the job, I was thinking, hell, I wouldn't mind doing that job for a year and a half. But it must have been massive cultural challenges for you. Uh, like, for instance, where did you live in relation to work? Did you drive through the populace every day? And I did. Uh, how was it? What was it like? The cultural differences. Yeah, I started out, I lived on a base, a little small base that's now closed. It's called Escon Village. It was actually where it was actually where General Schwarzkopf lived uh, during during Desert Storm. Um, but then within a month or two of getting there, they said, well, you know, you're really you're really working you know, out of the embassy. You kind of need to be near the embassy. And so uh, they rented a house near the embassy. And sometimes I would ride my bicycle. Sometimes I would drive. I actually had a driver and a driving team. But I, I like to interact with the yeah. with the community as much as possible. What was security? Um, was that uh, it, was this a dangerous place for you? It was not a dangerous place. The security was mainly, and it was provided by the Saudis, was mainly to increase my wasta when I would go and meet with important people because when they would see me ride up with a security crew, then they knew, wow, this guy must be, this guy must be really important. Is that the, Um, that must be the, the term, the wasta? The wasta. Yeah. So, so this is a big shot. If you got a big security. Exactly. And, and, and so uh, we were successful. So we were negotiating with the Saudis and then also with the U S government, um, the, the program was perceived to fall under the State Department. That was some of the conflict that we kind of had. Uh, and I don't mind the State Department having a role in what was basically viewed as an embassy program and a, and a foreign policy program. Um, but it was, it was one where the military, you, you know, we were the 800-pound gorilla. We provided all the soldiers, uh, the training, the knowledge, the expertise. And I did develop a, a good relationship with the ambassador um, 
that was there. He was a Trump appointee, but he's a very, very well-known individual. His name is General John Abizade, who was the CENTCOM oh, commander, yeah, of know. course. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I met him. And I met him in Afghanistan. and showed him the photo. Hey, yeah. sir, look, you remember this? He goes, "Yes, I do." I saw that K Rock interview, and I saw there's a photo of you with Abizade. Wow, that was That's an right. honor. That's well, you know, I, I would think just by your personality and the way you mm-hmm. talk, you probably got on well with the State Department, and I mean that as a high compliment. Um, you probably were frustrated, but you probably had a good working relationship with them. I'm guessing. I did. I did. Um, you know, there was, there was, there was a Washington state department and then there was the local state department that was, that was there, you know, the, you know, the, uh, you, you know, the diplomatic officers, you know, the consular officers and, and all the, all the different the foreign service officers really is what I meant. Um, one of the foreign service officers, he was actually my next door neighbor. Um, he was, uh, he was, a, 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 as a civilian, he was an army war college graduate and did the distance learning program, just like I did. He graduated a, a couple of years before I did, you know, and so we had that, we had that mutual respect and he'd worked with the military before. Um, and, uh, we, you know, we had similar goals and we had similar, um, um, you, you know, how we envisioned and how we viewed the program. Um, the Saudis very, very, very much liked working with the U.S. military. And, and quite frankly, they always liked, and there were many, many times, not all the times, but there were many times that, uh, retired army generals, um, uh, were, were named the ambassador to, uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, and they just, they just knew that the U.S. military, um, you know, just had a, had a great, great, great reputation. And so they very much liked working with us. And so it was, it was really, really, really a pleasure. And I developed friendships with, you know, with, with, with Saudis, like I said, but having them educated here in America, I did not really have to explain to them American culture, American society. Um, and, uh, many parts of it, it's a very wealthy country and, uh, there were many aspects of the country that, uh, were very, very normal. The probably about the hardest thing is when you, if you wanted to go through the drive through at McDonald's and get an egg McMuffin, you could get an egg McMuffin, but of course it didn't have a slice of ham in it. And, um, <laughs> uh, that takes some getting used to. <laughs> yeah. That facet. Did you see any unique things like, say, with women? You always—that's one of the things here in America. They're always talking about women are devalued. Of course, they sure. say that here too, but, uh, but you know, even more so there. Yeah, the, the great news is, you, you know, Mohammed bin Salman gets a lot of flack for a lot of things, and and some of it is warranted, and don't really want to get into all of those issues. But what he does deserves some credit is he is trying to liberalize the society. Women are working. Um, they're working in government jobs. They're working in civilian jobs. Um, they, you, you know, they have, they're allowed to, to go around in society. Um, it was my one and only time there. Uh, and so I don't really have a basis to compare it, you know, you know, somewhere like I did with Afghanistan, been there twice, but, uh, there was clearly, uh, there was clearly some liberalization. They didn't have movie theaters there, um, until 2015. I'm not kidding. That I didn't know. <laughs> huh. well, I don't <laughs> and, Yeah. And, and they and they allowed movie theaters and and uh, um, and I love movies and I actually went to about four or five movies, um, you know and 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 uh, um, you know and they had they had they had uh, you know you, you know Arabic subtitles but they were in English yeah um, and you could you could you could 
see one in directly in that language. Obviously, huh. I didn't go to those movies, but I went to I went to I went to I went to several movies. Um, I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan, and the movie Tenet came out there, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not going to miss this. I'm going to go watch this movie in the movie okay. theaters, and uh, I enjoyed that. Now, Alan, uh, also, you're up in Humboldt County. Or where are you at? Yeah, I lived, in Humboldt for, I lived in Humboldt for 10 years. I live in Fontana now. Oh, well, that's um, what I thought. I, I, yep. I'm just curious. I was, like a lot of people, I think of Humboldt as like a bunch of kind of the, the old hippies all moved up there and retired. And uh, yes. I'm just curious if you're being a, a mil- senior military officer, if I don't know if that caused any friction up there in your neighborhood. <laughs> my favorite, my favorite story is so I I would always get the little pie class for my ranks, and so most of my time, although towards the tail end, I made lieutenant colonel. But most of the time, when I was in the DA's office there, I was a major, and so of course, as you know, uh, that's a that's a that's a, uh, a golden uh, um, you know golden uh, oak leaf. And I was in an elevator one time, and wearing a suit and wearing my little pie class, and somebody says they look at that golden oak. Leaf, to go is that a marijuana leaf and i'm like uh no that's the rank of a major in the united states oh, army brother. yeah and i'm only a deputy district attorney do you think i would seriously well, be wearing a marijuana leaf on my t- on my tie you know i was <laughs> i was at uh the 351st up in mountain view it's by san jose california and yep. i remember i I was saying I'm married now. I was single then, and I was going out with some lady up there when I was up on these trips uh, or up on my doing my battle assembly weekend. And one time I was supposed to meet her, go back to my hotel, meet her, and I didn't have the time. So I just showed up in uniform to talk to her. And she, she, we went, she took me to this party in Santa Clara. And uh-huh. it was all these massive super liberals and, yep. oh, and, oh, I tell you what, they weren't short of money. They had a, somebody was filthy rich on this house, but people were talking to me and it was almost like they thought I must've been drafted or something. It was like, there was no <laughs> understanding that perhaps some guy, there's some of us that actually want to get in the military. Right. Uh, Absolutely. I, that we actually like okay that's a well let me I'm, I'm gonna save a question on that for my last one but uh you also work as an attorney and i think I you, so now you live in fontana but you work as an attorney and what type of law do you practice yeah right now i'm doing personal injury um mm-hmm. i worked for uh, jacob romani uh for a while about a year and a half um, he's got billboards and, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, television commercials and promotes the Lakers. But now I'm working for a Korean American attorney by the name of the law offices of John Yi, and we're in Koreatown. So it's a little bit of a, little bit of a commute, but, you know, deal with it. Um, and so I do personal injury and I, I litigate cases and, and, um, I was in judge Irma pool, Asbury's court, uh, had a oh, case yes, there and, great. uh, was able to settle it right before, uh, right, right before, uh, trial. Uh, so I do cases in Riverside. Is okay. Looking back, would you uh, would you change anything with the military? You have given a lot. Well, first off, how many years of actual active duty time do you have? And then how many? You obviously yep. for your. I know you're retiring, but it, it sounds like you've been on on active duty for what at least ten years. 
Yeah, almost almost ten, about seven and a half years. Yeah. Um, you know, commissioned uh, as a reservist, uh, enlisted in the Army Reserve, and then nine eleven happened. And Tough as you places. know, nine eleven nine eleven changed your life, changed my life as well. Yeah. And um, uh, and so yeah, so I have about seven and a half years, multiple multiple mobilizations. I, um, I'm, I'm, you know, the, I was pleased to hear the Army said you don't have to wait until sixty. You're getting your you're getting your retirement. Uh, at about 56 and a half. And, and so I'm very Thank close to that. And so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> well, good. Okay. Any, uh, what are your future plans? Okay. Retire. You're going to retire in about a month, uh, yep. as a full Colonel. What, what are your future plans? Alan? You know, I, 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 very similar to you in terms of like figuring out a way to help veterans. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to run, uh, when I was in Humboldt, um, we did a stand down. I'm, I, I have a feeling you probably know what those are. Yes. Uh, yeah. Those, uh, those fairs. And I was the president of the board of, of, of a stand down. And I found, I found that fascinating. I've got some friends that are, that are, that are, uh, veterans in the LA legal community. And I know that they do fundraisers and they raise money, you know, for the, for the, uh, Bob Hope USO there at LAX, which is spectacular and, and all that. But I, 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 I looked at, um, uh, I've looked at an appointment to uh, the California Veterans Board. Um, have not heard back from that, um, but I do have a, I, I have somebody that's already on the board and is a retired brigadier general, and she's been advocating for me. But we'll, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, they've got a couple vacancies. In fact, a fellow that you probably served with served on that board, but he's no longer on that. Uh, John uh, Boost, uh, Buster Root. Um, oh yeah, yeah, was, I know John. I haven't seen him in years, probably. Yeah, yeah. So he was on the board. He was on that board, but he reached his time now. Now he's off there. Um, so that's one of the things that I've looked at. But yeah, figure out a way. Uh, I just joined uh, the American Legion post 291 uh, there in Newport Beach. Um, and, Is that uh, the that's one that rents there. boats? It does. I've it does. heard that. I, I have a friend it, of mine. Also, there's one. The one in Hollywood uh, is yep. beautiful. It is a very nice one as well. Yeah, the yeah. Hollywood one I've heard. But I just joined that, and that's actually where my retirement ceremony is going to be. That's where I grew up. Uh, graduated from Newport Harbor High. My 10 and 30 year high school reunions were, were that was at that location. Um, and so they have an honor guard. I'd like to do more of that. I've done probably in addition to the stand downs, I served on a community veterans honor guard and I probably did about a hundred veterans funerals and up there in Humboldt, it was, it was more often than not our ceremony was the funeral. Um, and I really, really enjoyed that. And anytime, anytime it was an army, anytime it was an army member, um, uh, we, we, I was always at the front because it, it, uh, all during that period of time as a lieutenant colonel, I was uh, a lieutenant colonel when I was on there and they, you know, it was a, a, a note of respect to the families to have somebody of my rank, um, know. you know, serving at the front of the funeral. Well, you know, one yeah. of the things I, I say this over and over again, I think veterans are the best people on the planet. I think they're I the most giving, uh, I, I have, I can think of times I've had veterans, I've needed someone to help them. And are there veterans in court? Are there just some other veteran Correct. you meet? And I have people, veterans, falling over themselves to help these uh, guys out. They wouldn't even consider taking pay or anything. It's just helping out right. a brother or sister veteran. And yep. I could tell you do that too. And I, thanks. I have. I, I, really I, have. I, I had a guy I served with in Afghanistan uh, years ago and he called and, and I said, uh oh. And, uh, I got him in connection with suicide helpline immediately. And he's, yeah. he's, uh, he worked, he worked through his issues. Um, and, uh, it, so it's real. 
Uh, It is real that veterans have problems. Uh, Those problems are not going away. Um, You're right that so few served. Um, But what is different from this is uh, that the few that did serve just kept on serving repeatedly. Yeah. And, you know, nobody, nobody went to Vietnam and did, you know, did multiple, multiple deployments that just didn't happen. You know, obviously most of that period of time we had a draft. Um, and so the effects and, uh, the distance, the distance that we had from our families and, and how difficult this was on our personal lives, um, is real. And, um, you know, God bless you and what you're doing and the work you're doing there with that Veterans Court and, and realizing that, that, that they need uh, assistance and the law has created it uh, that allows, uh, you know, alternative sentencing. We're not saying people uh, shouldn't be held responsible. Clearly, they do need to be. Um, but their situation is different in what, in what put them in that situation. And that absolutely has to be factored in. Alan, I want to thank you very much for a couple things. First off, for your service, for everything you've done. You've given more than 99.9% of Americans. I want to thank you for that. Thank you for talking to me today and also your kind words. And uh, I think it's important to talk about these things. There were a lot of veterans who were stressed, basically, anxiety over uh, Afghanistan. Uh, They need to know they're not alone that uh, we we think like they do and so uh, all I can say is thank you brother I appreciate you coming on absolutely thank you again for having me and we'll be honored uh, retirement ceremonies on Sunday November the 6th I'll send you an invitation for there we'll be honored with your presence oh absolutely I will be there hey let me just thank people in the audience thank you very much for uh, listening in to the veteran experience with Judge Johnson uh, if you got any questions for Alan or for me, uh, my email address is in the show notes. My webpage address is also in the show notes. Get them to me there. I'll make sure we get an answer for you. Give me your contact information, too. But uh, once again, thank you very much. God bless, Alan. Take care. Thank you for your service. Thank you, and you have a wonderful week. All right. Thanks. <laughs>